ladies and gentlemen, please have your passports ready for inspection. On behalf of your captain and your crew on board this afternoon, we hope you enjoyed your flight with us. And on behalf of Ryanair, we look forward to being a service to you in the very near future. sent here as a Capuchin priest uh, in 1969 for further studies and uh, well I just decided to stay on for various reasons I decided to stay on and I've been here ever since you know but half longing to be in Ireland of course but for many practical reasons uh, I'm still here in France but it's not too bad a place to be if you have to be anywhere you know. I visited Paris for the first time at my school for four days and it had such an impression on me that I decided I'd come back and that's the way it all happened. I came back for one year to visit, to study and to see what was going on and I'm here ten years. I arrived here in Paris uh, 19, the end of 1975 with no French. I was a butcher back home. In fact, in 1975 there was only one Irish pub in Paris which was called Kisses, and that was in Rue Saint-Denis. Uh, it was very small, a very small place which did not promote as such Irish music or Irish culture. It was just an ordinary pub with the name Kissy. I work a four-day week, um, like many French women do. Um, Wednesday is free day in the French primary school system and this is the day where you're supposed to bring your children to their piano lessons or their sports or whatever outside interests you want for them so I find Wednesday is the day well I go to the swimming pool with my daughter we do a few messages um, see friends I try to organize any shopping that needs to be done but my husband and I share all that side of things anyway from what I can see, the, the Irish uh, in Paris are very well accepted, very well received and very well considered. Uh, I, we've often discussed among ourselves, among the Irish in Paris, and various people have put forward various theories, like historical tradition and all that. Uh, my personal opinion is that history has nothing to do with it, that it's a question of mentality, that the Irish are very open. We're a small country, we're open to... Uh, uh, we come here, we're open and we're willing to learn. Uh, we, we know that we cannot uh, say we have an empire, we, we are a small country, we, we have to make an effort. Uh, the French, they know Ireland, in my opinion, they, they, in modern history, they've known Ireland since uh, the Gaulle's historic uh, retreat to Ireland in 1968, when he lost the referendum. Uh, he spent some weeks in Ireland. It was very widely reported in the French press. And uh, I would say among a class of intellectuals and uh, I would say rather, rather bourgeois, uh, bourgeois circles in France. And uh, ever since tours, uh, French tourism to Ireland and French attitudes to, to Ireland have been affected by this. Um, afterwards, there was a, a very, very, very well, very well known song, very successful song by a French singer called Michel. Sardou, and uh, it was called the Lakes of Connemara, the Lac du Connemara, and uh, this uh, song also made uh, Connemara and Ireland very well known. Uh, there was also a, a very uh, a film which was very popular in its time called The Purple Taxi. Uh, 
the French call it the taxi move. And uh, this film, I think, was set in in Connemara, at least in, at least in the west of Ireland, with uh, some French actors, uh, Pete Yustinov, and it was a, a typical French intellectual uh, film, and uh, it, it made Ireland known uh, to the French, and uh, I think helped a lot in French tourism towards Ireland. But Irish people would have been remembered too from more distant and more turbulent times. At the storming of the Bastille, the Irish were both on the outside and the inside of that grim symbol of autocratic rule, a forerunner of the dual role the emigres in France were to play in the upheavals of the next 20 years. Irish students were to be found serving the King and the Republic, and some were to lose their heads as a result. One of three men driving wildly through the streets of Paris on July the 14th, shouting to the Bastille, was a cobbler from Ferns in County Wexford called Joseph Kavner. And one of the seven prisoners freed and carried in triumph through the streets was a 60-year-old Dubliner called James White, a former officer in an Irish regiment. But the greatest concentration of Irish people in Paris in times gone by would have been the students who went there mainly to study for the priesthood, firstly at the Collège des Lombards in 1578, and then in 1775 they moved to a new college in a street called La Rue du Cheval Vert, the Street of the Green Horse, later to become known as La Rue des Irlandais. And it is here that Father Liam Soares operates the chaplaincy to the Irish in Paris. Liam is the author of The Green Cockade, which he has subtitled The Irish in the French Revolution. I'm the chaplain to the Irish in Paris. I don't call myself the Irish chaplain, but the chaplain to the Irish in Paris. Now, and what is the distinction between that, say, the Irish chaplain or chaplain to the Irish? Well, the Irish are scattered. It's a big, wide... They're dispersed all over Paris. And I like the the Irish phrase. I don't call this, for example, the Irish college. It's Colossianangale or it's Coolish de Zirlandale. An Irish college can mean something else. It's quite distinct from College of the Irish, which we don't have any English equivalent to Colossianangale or Coolish de Zirlandale. So we end up saying Irish College Paris. Now, when you look around the corridors here of this college, what kind of ghosts from the past do you see? Say, from past ecclesiastical history, maybe? Oh, it's an extraordinary building, and it's full of ghosts. It's completely haunted. Even the room you're in now is completely haunted. Because I know, as a historian of the college over years, I've come to know, in some ways, the old Irish in Paris as well as the new Irish in Paris. But I know their names, I've read what they've written... And the college has had an extraordinary history, as, as a building that has an extraordinary history here in the Latin Quarter in Paris. For example, it has been in its time a prison. It was a prison during the French Revolution with the Irish students imprisoned here. It has been a field hospital uh, during the Franco-Prussian War. It was taken over by the French and converted into what was called the Ambulance Irlandaise, a, a French field hospital. It has been a refugee centre for 
various groups. The Dutch during the war were in here. There were various French groups in here during the war, and now the Polish uh, seminary, which is here. It has, for example, among its past pupils, it has both a king and a pope. The king was... Uh, Napoleon's brother was here as a student went to the French school just after the French Revolution. And uh, the present pope was here in around 1947. He came here as a young student priest, and it's from here he learned his French. Now, when were Irish students last here? The last of the Irish students would have been 1939. When the Second World War was declared in 1939, the... Uh, because we were neutral in the war and because French couldn't guarantee our, our safety, the standard practice was to ask non-nationals to leave the country because they couldn't guarantee your security. And at that point, the last of the Irish students left the Irish college. Some of them were ordained shortly afterwards. The others went back to Minuto, the various seminaries in Ireland, with the intention, when the war ceased, to return to Paris. And when the war ceased, uh, that's what they were planning to do. All this building we see going around here, or rather the renovation of the different buildings. Now, what's all that in need of? Is this place going to be, you know, alive again and buzzing with Irish accents of students who are going to study for the priesthood over here in Paris? Uh, I certainly hope that the place will be alive and buzzing again, but it will not be specifically for students that are going to study for the priesthood, no. It will be open to men and women who are coming to Paris on some specific uh, either course of studies or perhaps business exploration type project. And there may be some members of the church that are going to do a year in Paris continuing their studies of French, but it's not actually going to be a seminary anymore. So it will no longer be a place where there will be people going around in flowing black soutans. Uh, there are very few flowing black soutans in Paris at the moment, and no, you will not see any here. And is the interest in religion now, has it kind of subsided as well? I wouldn't say that. The place, uh, this is, uh, it was a seminary and there is a very beautiful chapel on the grounds. We're going to highlight the different dioceses that are written around at the colonnades, as you can see, in the courtyard. The religion will, has, will have its place here as it would normally have had, but we will not be using it as a seminary because there's in fact no longer any need to use it as a seminary. Well, Stephanie, you are the administrator here at the Irish College. What do you think now will happen when this place is reopened next, mm -hmm. uh, next month, isn't it? Yes, the opening will take place in the beginning of October. We already have reservations from a group that are funded by the IFI, the International Fund for Ireland, and it is a group from North and South, Enniskillen and Killala, who are coming to Paris as part of a long project where they will do market research for companies which are, who are employing them in Ireland, and they will spend about 10 weeks here. That's the first reservation we have. We have um, seminars booked for different business groups in Ireland that want to spend a weekend or a day in Ireland. And we even have a reservation for an evening from a UCG graduates committee. And this will show you how times are changing. They want to hold a meeting in Paris to get together their graduates. And they have decided to use this college as their venue. Stephanie Bork, administrator at the Collège des Islandais, now refurbished and ready for a new lease of life with a new format. And if Rue des Islandais was once the labelled home of many an Irishman in Paris, it's not so anymore, and you're just as likely to find them in Rue Pigalle or Rue Montmartre.
the quiet precincts of Rue des Islandais that we move to Rue Montmartre and to the well-known hostelry Chi Johnny, which is run by Johnny Granville from the Dingle Peninsula. Here the chatter and the music have a traditional flavour and the Gaelic and the Gaelic ethos mingle with unbridled ease as Martin Donahue from Walkenstown via Cross Midland and Spansill Hill is backed on guitar by Dominic Gann from downtown Paris. I say, hey, and why the days of y'all? She said, Johnny, you're only now joking, as many sots I am before. Why the cock then crew in for the morning, it crew both loud and shrill. When I awoke in California, I Piles for unspuns of Well, Martin, when you're not playing the guitar here and singing in Chi Johnny at night, what do you do here in the daytime in Paris? I work as a carpenter. I, I never actually served my time as a carpenter, but I bluffed my way in and I, I learned how to get in and get on and get on in life, whatever. Uh, so in, here in Paris, is it easy for an Irish fellow to find his own kind of corner, so to speak? No, it's not. When, when you come over to this country first, it's very, very difficult. Because you must... The biggest barrier is the fact that you must speak the language. And without the language, you're very, very lost. And when you came here, Martin, how long? Ten years ago, was it? No, five. Five? Almost five and years And did ago. you have any French at all? None whatsoever. None you whatsoever. had a couple of fucking great, hadn't you? A, li- a little. I mean, a you're, little. you're half from South Armagh, are you not? <laughs> a little, a little. Then how did you set about learning French, and how did you, you know, get enough that you could do business as a carpenter through French? Well, I, I, I met a very lovely woman in, in Donegal. A French woman? A French woman. Yeah. And she invited me back here for a, for a holiday, and she says, come on over, she says, and I says, packed up my job when I was in Donegal, and away I went, I says, well, uh, why me, not? Yeah, but tell me this, Martin, if you had no, no French and she was from France, how did you know what she was saying when she told you to pack up and come over here to Paris? 
I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll tell you the truth, she was a lovely looking woman. I didn't bother asking any questions. <laughs> uh, when you were going around Paris during the day, do you have much uh, come up with other Irish people, Martin? When I first came here, no, I didn't have, no, no, not at all. But after six or seven months being here, you get to know a lot of people and you do tend to, to mix within the Irish circles and the Irish people, the Irish community, the Irish association. We actually got two Irish football teams here playing in Paris, which are, I'm a member of both, <laughs> a Gaelic team and a soccer team. And we've had teams over from Galway and teams over from Kerry that come over and play against us for, for, for weekends. They come over for weekends and, and ju just meet the lads who are living over in Paris. But I was going to say there, Martin, do you still play? You're only a young and active fellow. Of course you play. I do, I do. Play away, no problem, all the time. Now, see, when you're out I'm on, there... I'm only a young fella, I'm only 32. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, but when you were out there now playing off the Champs-Élysées or wherever it is, um, playing Gaelic football, would you have many French people watching you? Yeah, there were, there were always French people because there'd be always French connections who would come out to between between pe the people we we actually mix with and know here in in, in Paris. They're married into inter intermarriages and in French and English and French and Irish and French and they're all very interested in, in, in the same the same kind of things of us as ourselves, you know. Many young Irish girls, like Jackie Boyle from Westport, come to Paris for a year or so to learn French, but the magic of the left bank, or the Latin Quarter, is so overpowering that the return process gets slowed down. I had the French basics of leaving cert French from my school mm. days, and I wasn't very interested in my studies at school. It all I just learned from my friends. In the first year, no, it took me quite a long time. But going on from there, I got to know a lot of French people, and I had to make the effort. Now, so that we will know what your French sounds like now, could you say, describe Westport in three or four sentences? Alors, je dirais que la ville de Westport, la ville où je suis née, c'est une des plus belles villes que je trouve en Irlande. 
Et ça, ça resterait toujours dans mon esprit. C'est un endroit que j'aimerais toujours me retrouver. Et un jour, je retournerai pour du bon. Jackie, how long did it take you to acquire a beautiful French accent like that? People don't think it's a beautiful French accent. It took me quite a long time. It actually sinks in without you knowing about it, and one day it just all comes out. People actually think from... The Britons think I have an accent, and they often ask me, am I from Germany? Some people might say, are you from the south of France? But that's it. It just takes quite a long time. It didn't happen in one year? No, it didn't. In one year, I had maybe five or six words to put together, because a lot of my friends in the beginning were English-speaking people, and I wasn't interested in actually speaking French. I was just interested in what was going on around me and what we could do, where we used to go, and that was it. Now, what kind of social life would you have around here? My social life now is down to the point of I socialise with my friends in friends' houses and being invited to dinner and going out to dinner and going out more or less in a group of four or five friends. I don't actually go to pubs. I don't actually go to discotheques anymore. I think I've gone and passed that stage. But you're still young enough, I would say. Of course I am, but maybe I've found what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I want to ask you what you were looking for. I don't know. <laughs> the day I know what I'm looking for, I think maybe it's the day that I leave France. I'd love to leave, actually. I think I'm, I'm set in at the moment. I'm in a rut. I've got my comforts. I've got my friends. I'd love to travel further afield, but it's probably just getting up the courage of leaving again and starting everything all over again. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Now, what kind of jobs, different jobs, have you had since you came over here? Oh, I've gone through such a lot. I was working for a big export-import firm that was dealing with, um, actually, with meat, buying in from all the different countries and selling out, which I really loved. I left that then, and I worked then with international lawyers and accountants, which I did not like at all. From there, I went into import-export, and I travelled a little bit. And from there, I came and I worked in the Hotel Eugenie in Paris. Irish people in Paris are working in commerce, education, industry, you name it. Tom McDonough from Galway works as an importer and exporter, and his involvement with Irish societies makes him very much aware of how the Irishman fares out in the French capital. Uh, the average uh, Irishman in Paris, or Irish woman for that matter, would be somebody who has gone through secondary school, studied French uh, in some, some form or other, usually having a reasonably good knowledge of the language, and come to France with this, with this baggage, with this, uh, with this background, and uh, is capable within six months, shall we say, of speaking the language reasonably well and being able to function in France. Um, uh, many of them work as teachers, I would say the majority still work as teachers, but as time goes on, the, uh, the kind of work they are doing is uh, becoming more diversified uh, with the language skill and the knowledge of the country uh, the possibilities and opportunities broaden they, um, shall we say the contact with the French people and the Parisians is very good where the Irish are well received in Paris and uh, there are no closed doors so the, except, I think, in the within the teaching, shall we say, because because the French teaching system, there are certain yes, in the lycées, in the French secondary schools, they are, they find it very hard to teach because they haven't got the French uh, background and the French teaching discipline and whatnot. But otherwise, uh, everything is open. 
There is no, there is a very, uh, it's a great sympathy towards the Irish in Paris on the part of the French, and uh, the Irish seem to be, uh, seem to be trying everything, anything. Uh, well, Tom, then, will you not get unskilled Irish people working in Paris, the same as you do, say, in Birmingham or in London? Uh, very few indeed. Very few indeed. Uh, you will find uh, the you'll find the electricians, carpenters, and that. But on, and also people who work in the building site. But they are, as far as I can see, they are skilled people. They are people who are uh, capable of uh, building and uh, are in doing interior decorating. Uh, I don't uh, I don't see any unskilled skilled Irish people in Paris. Well, would you say then, Tom, that Paris isn't? the home of the traditional Irish paddy? Uh, no, Paris is certainly not the home of the traditional Irish paddy. Uh, maybe that will come later, maybe once the basis for the Irish community has been, has been really set and it's, become, and it's broadened and that, and when there are enough Irish people who have businesses of their own and, are, and can and want to employ Irish people, as, as they obviously will want to do, then this will become possible. But for the moment, the Irish who come here must have certain skills whether it's, uh, first of all, linguistic, knowing the language, and secondly, having some kind of trade. Otherwise, uh, they, find they, will, they will not find work very easily. Um, I think there is, a, there is possibly a lot of possibilities in the, uh, in the hotel and restaurant trade that exists, but again, uh, a certain amount of knowledge of the language is necessary. Uh, because we have so many intellectuals Irish intellectuals in Paris. There are lots of organizations and uh, lots of uh, literary events, uh, whether it's people writing books or poems. We have many, many poets. And uh, uh, for example, in, uh, in, our, uh, in the pub, uh, we have uh, T. Johnny's. We have uh, regular, regular poetic uh, readings and uh, short story readings and uh, meetings of pe between people who are interested in the arts and that. The academic life, too, is graced by many an Irishman, and at the Sorbonne it's possible to attend lectures on British civilization given by Derry O'Sullivan from Bantry. Derry is no mean hand either at the iambic pentameter or other verse measurements in three languages. He first came to Paris as a priest, but now he's a family man. Well, we're standing in our courtyard. As you can see, Porrick, it's... Um it's a nice, narrow, quiet little courtyard, you know. And uh, we're just at the bottom of Escalier C, Staircase C, where we live, uh, on the second floor. And you see the bicy my children's bicycles are there in the hall. And uh, a lot of the people in this building, in fact, are like ourselves. They're not French. They're uh, Americans here. There's, for example, there's an American writer, William Horton, who wrote the book Birdie. Uh, there's uh, an American uh, photographer. There are um, 
uh, various other nationalities in, in the building, you know, so it's uh, as well as the Irish, you know, but we also have French neighbours here, you know. Well, Derry, you would, of course, be the only man from Bantry in County Cork here, I would imagine. Yes, pa pa uh, pa Patrick, but uh, the, the amazing thing that happened to me when we moved in here was in 82, we, we went to a little cafe down the road, a little passageway, which is called Passage Charles Delray. Went into the cafe, and uh, we said uh, there's a Romanian who wanted to marry to a, a woman from Normandy, and uh, asked us where we were from. I said I was from Ireland. Oh, he says, what part of Ireland? I, I laughed, you know, the idea of mentioning what part of Ireland, you know, I said it was near Cork. Near Cork, he says, where near Cork? So I said, Bantry. Bantry! And immediately everybody else in the cafe, all the locals, the, the, the metal workers and all, they said, ah, oh, Bantry, he comes from Bantry, just like Andre, Andre's daughter. And I found out that one of the local artisans, uh, craftspeople, had in fact a daughter married in Bantry. With, uh, the, the, herself and her husband ran a pub in Bantry. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, I know Bantry is an important place, but I hadn't quite realised, you know, that we were so well known. I think that's the, the, the height of fame, is to be known in a little cafe here, to have your town known in a little cafe here in the 11th arrondissement. Well, your adventure now towards this uh, quiet courtyard here in the arrondissement, whatever one it is, ons or dues, um, <clears throat> came by a kind of a roundabout way. I mean, what took you from Bantry to... Paris. Oh my goodness, tonight it's like trying to, to synopsize uh, Christopher Columbus in a way, you know. Uh, yes, well, I'm one of those uh, who was sort of exiled, like, you know, not exactly in the same sense of Quirach and Loch uh, not exactly, but uh, I was sent here to, to France, not to the 11th, but uh, I was sent here as a Capuchin priest. Uh, in 1969 for further studies and uh, well I just decided to stay on for various reasons I decided to stay on and I've been here ever since you know but half longing to be in Ireland of course but for many practical reasons uh, I'm still here in France but it's not too bad a place to be if you have to be anywhere you know the, the reason you sit on the beginning Jerry, would be mainly for romantic reasons of some kind or other um, uh, not quite, no. It was uh, at the beginning, it was, of course, the fact that I was leaving the priesthood, which uh, already meant uh, a total change of lifestyle, which, one which I had to find, in fact. And um, at the time, Ireland wasn't in the common market, so one had to. Uh, I decided I'd stay here to try to make a, a new life, as it were. And um, then, of course, later on, uh, I got uh, married here and. Uh, I have a, I had a son <coughs> uh, with a Swedish mother, and uh, we've separated since. But now I'm married to uh, an Irish person from Dublin, uh, same name as myself, of course, another O'Sullivan. Uh, never do things uh, in a complicated fashion, you know. And uh, so uh, we're now expecting our second child. But in order that uh, I'd be able to see my first child from the previous uh, uh, marriage, I have to be here in Paris. So that's basically the reason I'm still here in Paris, you know. So uh, it's kind of complicated in a way. But you understand anybody, the. Yes, uh, I suppose I don't know if anybody else understands really. You know, I don't. I, I wouldn't be really surprised if they didn't actually. You know, but I must say now that I, the common market, by the way, helped uh, make things much easier. It was a real Kafkaesque situation trying to get a work permit here before that. Now uh, the French love paperwork. Of course, everything is so organised, and with, without your uh, carte d'identité, your identity card, you, you're non-existent. Of course. But uh, now uh, working in the uh, tertiary 
tertiary area teaching at the uh, university. Um, I've, uh, of course, become sort of. Uh, I feel as if I've become somehow a part of of France, uh, with, especially of Paris, which is so international. You know, you meet not alone French people here, but people from every part of the world. And generally, people come here. They are uh, who come here. They are doing so to sow their wild oats in some sense, but also uh, those who want to uh, reflect about life, who want to find out new philosophies and so forth. So you get into very interesting uh, conversations. You also meet, of course, people who come from oppressed countries, who are uh, political refugees of all descriptions and. Uh, or from disaster areas or whatnot, and Paris is there, as it were. Uh, you can meet these people here. You can meet them in class at the Sorbonne, or you can meet them in cafes or wherever, you know. Well, as a university lecturer now in the Sorbonne, what kind of... What is your field, so to speak? My field, if one could call it that, is um, it's called British civilization, which is, uh, I know, uh, a term uh, which b both British and non-British people dispute. They don't know exactly, uh, they don't always agree on what it means, but that's the name of the course and uh, that the French government decided to create. And it's part of, uh, of a general course on international law. Uh, here at the Sorbonne, so uh, the students I deal with are international law students. Most of them are French, but uh, others uh, come from China, from Africa, from Turkey, from Greece, from the States, from Canada, from Australia, you name it. I haven't yet personally had any Irish students, but it's quite possible. If you're learning English in Paris, the chances are you'll buy a magazine called English Through the News. And you'll be familiar then with the name Jean O'Sullivan, who works as a journalist with this publication. Jean is from Dunlera, and she's Derry O'Sullivan's wife. I work for a publishing company doing magazines for schools in English and cassettes and various other products. It's a sort of specialised form of journalism for learning English. And, um, well, follow various other interests as well, including... Well, these magazines now that you write for, uh, will they be French magazines with uh, pieces in English? No, they're completely, they're completely in English. There are four magazines for different age groups, and they're sort of glossy-looking, and they come out five times a year, accompanied by cassettes. So we have to make little trips here and there to, to record the cassettes as well and do interviews and this kind of thing. Now, that's one part of your life. Mm. The other is uh, my family, of course. Um, we have a little girl of six. And we have a baby on the way next March. And, um, well, try to find the time to juggle both job and family and other interests, social life, um, the usual working woman's story. <laughs> When you think of doing as I suppose you do occasionally, are there any things like that you miss from that part of your life, and are there things that you have here that you never had back in Ireland? Um, in one sense, it's difficult to compare because I never really worked in Ireland and, and sort of led. I sort of lived at home really until I left Ireland. Um, but people do tend to take take things more seriously here. I think they they lack a sense of humour. 
about uh, many aspects of child rearing, for example. I mean, people take, you know, pediatricians and, and child, children's health and things terribly, terribly serious. I mean, you know, it's never... And children never get a tummy ache. It's always called by some long name. And <laughs> they get very dramatic about things that we would shrug off, I think. And um, the same goes for schoolwork. I think people put their children under a lot of pressure here, even at primary school level. And I find with my French colleagues as well, I mean, they take their jobs extremely seriously. They're quite anxious people, really. <laughs> now, the material that you write, say, for the magazines... Mm. Um, what kind of angle would it have? It is concerned with kind of everyday life of young people in Paris. Uh, no, it's concerned with presenting the English-speaking world to young French people. And um, because the textbooks are so um, prejudiced in favour of England and America, we try to... Uh, we were in Scotland earlier this year, for example. We try to present things, well, in Ireland especially, that's my department, Scotland, uh, Australia, New Zealand. We write about things that happen in other parts of the English-speaking world as well as England and America. Um, and we have a lot of freedom to do opinion pieces. Um, anything we like, really, as long as we think it will appeal to young people. So we visit the schools a lot, we talk to them, we see what, we see what interests them, and, um, and what interests ourselves, and we find uh, the compromise between both. Well, Jean, are you so integrated with life here in Paris now that uh, you will continue on there, that you will rear a family there, families will probably be half Irish and half French? Um, well, it's difficult to say. It's difficult to plan uh, in a very long term. I would say in the, in the short term, yes. Uh, short to middle term, um, I see myself staying here. But, um, well, it's impossible to say, really. The Irish pub scene gets bigger all the time and the increase in customers isn't because there are more people coming over to Paris but because there's a greater interest in Irish music and culture which these hostelries try to provide. A few weeks ago there was another addition to the scene when the Quigleys from Derry opened the James Joyce pub and with friends like Francis Canning on the piano accordion they hope to pack them in. George, you are not the proud owner of the James Joyce pub here in what is the area? Uh, it is the heart of Paris, uh, Saint Louis du Jour. Uh, it is, if you like, it is the, the pulse of Paris itself. Uh, the forum has just been built. It has taken uh, something like seven years to build. It's all new, and uh, it's an area of Paris as such. I'm not the owner, uh, excuse me. I'm part of a, I'm a partner in it. Along with so you're a part owner? Part owner with my brother, Jack. And uh, we've just opened. It's been very hard as far as to get it open, and uh, the friends are very slow and getting, uh, as far as getting materials and getting things done, 
Uh, Jack, being a constructor and in construction himself, has brought over his own workers, and thanks to the workers, we were able to get things done here in a very short time. You know, and at the moment, we're very happy with what we're doing. Uh, we're only doing a third of what we should be doing at the moment. We will be doing food and on the loins floor we will we're hoping to bring over some Irish groups to promote Ireland and its music. Now how did you come over here, Karen? I mean you're very young. Did you decide to Well, to be honest, the proposition was put to me back home in Derry, where I live. I've been running a bar back there now from my dad for three years. And they asked me, would I like to come over here? So first of all, I came over for a holiday, just to see what it was like. And my first impression of the French people was, I like them, although I think they're a bit lazy. So I decided, when I went back home and I had a good hard think about it, I decided to come over here and do my best, and try and run the bars best of my knowledge. So I've left all my friends back home, but that's going to be the hard part, so there's plenty of friends here, especially Irish, to be made with. So all I can do is do my best. In England, there's a whole Irish community in areas like Kilburn, Cricklewood and Camden Town. Is it like that in Paris? Jerry O'Sullivan. There's a whole sector of work that's sort of cut off uh, from the Irish as such uh, so far here in Paris. It's dominated mostly by people from North Africa. Um, it's uh, the road building, road construction and so forth that would be a, a, a traditional means of employment for Irish people in Britain. That's uh, one area. So uh, there's no sort of uh, concentration then of people uh, in, in special work housing. But... Um, you don't either have the system of squats on a big measure here in, in Paris. So people find accommodation where they can. There is no one area where you can find an Irish block, as it were, in Paris at all. We do meet in cafes or in pubs like Johnny's Pub or other Irish pubs here in Paris, but uh, not any one area where the Irish live. It's not possible to, to get enough flats. How, uh, most people live in flats here in Paris. There aren't houses anyway, as you, as you notice, of course. So uh, uh, it's mostly flat accommodation, so it's very erratic. We're scattered all over the place, both within the city itself and the suburbs. So you don't get a, a, the equivalent of a Camden town, as it were, you know. Going back home is always in the back of people's minds, and going back home from Paris gets easier all the time. Recently, Ryanair added their flights to the existing air services to and from Paris, so that now there's a Ryanair flight to Paris every Monday and Friday morning, with return flights on the same days. So, for people like Jackie from Westport, there's always a way back. I go home seven, eight times a year if I can. I've been home since January, maybe four or five. It's a place I would love to go back to, but it's a place I'd love to have a base. I'd like to have something something more or less basic to go back to, something I'd like to set up my own little business. And as yet, I have no ideas. But the day I find it will be the day I go back. Domare. 
But for us, it's going back time now, and it's au revoir to La Rive Gauche, Rue des Irlandais, et Chaque Autre Rue. Tout, tout que promène le soir.